0: Welcome to the Vitality Shift podcast for chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host. And I get to have a returning guest all the way down from New Zealand. I think it's been over two years since he's been on the podcast. Um, so if you want to go back and hear his origin story and how he got into chiropractic, how he got into New Zealand Chiropractic College when it was like really hard because it was at the very beginning and they didn't know what they're doing. And he had to push through in the first first class or two, all the way to becoming a PhD student to PhD to now he's working at the, the college doing amazing chiropractic research. Um, and so you can get that story if you listen back to his previous episode. Now, because I haven't talked to him for two years, and normally we've traveled down to New Zealand or Australia usually once a year for the last 10 years. And because of COVID, I haven't been down there for like two years. So I haven't actually got to see him very much. last time I was in Fiji, but I haven't got to see him very much in the last couple of years. So I'm kind of doing this selfishly too, so I can just catch up myself. (laughs) So Dr. Kelly Holt, welcome to the podcast again.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Don. Good to be
0: back. <laughs> yeah, this is good. I it, it's uh last uh last time we got to have a couple of beers, um, enjoying the beautiful Fiji sun after a, an amazing seminar, and so um, now we'll have to just do it over Zoom, but and catch up. It would be nice to be down in Fiji, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> so, um, first of all, uh, because like we've got listeners all over the world and it's kind of nice to hear how things are going, we've we heard all these rumors that New Zealand's amazing, has no COVID and it's all perfect and, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe just give us a, an update of, of how you guys are doing in New Zealand currently and, uh, and then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Well, we've done pretty well. We've had, what, two or three or four real short sort of lockdowns kind of helps being on an island in the middle of the ocean, doesn't it? <laughs> um, we've had very little as far as community cases go. So most of the time it's been life as normal. And um, as I was mentioning just a little bit earlier on, uh, the country's worried at the moment because we had a visitor from Australia the other day who had COVID. So uh, everyone's worried that we're going to have a lockdown because we had one guy come in who had it. Uh, right now, we've actually got no cases associated with that, but uh, <laughs> let's see what happens over the next few days. Yeah. but it's, um, Yeah, I don't think it's affected us as much as the rest of the world. It's been pretty good down
0: there. Yeah, and you got to watch out for those German Australians, hey?
1: <laughs> well, that can really, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the only place you can go now, right? You just basically you just have your little bubble with uh, Australia right now?
1: Australia and the Cook Islands.
0: Uh-uh. Oh, so you got three?
1: Yeah, I was actually supposed to be going to Australia with Simon Kelly tomorrow, just for a bit of a boys' weekend. But um, we were going to go to Sydney, and probably two weeks ago, you know, they had one community case, and then two, and then five, and then ten, and they just shut the border to New South Wales the other day. So, so that <laughs> canceled.
0: Yeah. And that's the hard thing is even when things start to open up, like even for us, like we're, we're kind of opening up a little bit across Canada and they're talking a little bit about opening up the borders in the United States. You're going to have to get your shots to cross the border for the first little bit, I think. But, um, but yeah, it's hard to plan anything because like you, you never know when stuff changes. Right. And I think we had to, we had to cancel seven seminars, um, <laughs> through the COVID part. And so it's kind of hard to book stuff when you're kind of sick of, of canceling, uh, trips. <laughs>
1: All the event organisers that you know put all that time and effort into things, and then the the um, like pulled on the night.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's brutal. So. So now, you know, you're all safe in, in your little, on your little Island. Um, how about we go back and we we'll just talk a little bit about the school um, and kind of like give us a little bit of some updates about the school first, just because again, uh, things have been a little bit quiet lately in the world as everything's gone silent and we haven't been to seminars. So we haven't heard people speak. And then we'll, uh, we'll go back into the research department and talk about some of the cool things you guys have been doing lately. So what's a, what's an update on the school? How's the school doing with all through all this COVID?
1: School's going pretty well. We, um, We basically shifted to online learning within a week. So when the first lockdown happened, it only lasted four weeks or something, but um, we were quite lucky because it happened in the middle of uh, one of our semester breaks. We we had a a week to get our act together, but um, managed to take the entire program online uh, within a week. And then when it came to all of the practical classes, you know, The lockdown was short enough that we were able to just jam those practical classes in before uh, exam times so the students could catch up. Um, so as far as how it's impacted the college, we, we have been pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah there's not many uh, places around the world that have been as lucky as us and you know, from an educational perspective, we've, we've pretty much been able to go business as usual. It um, you know, affects everyone though, eh? so we certainly see it with the students, uh, you know, there's a lot more challenges, a lot of people feeling the stress and strain, because even though we haven't had a lot of it in the community, it still has that impact and, and you can see it um, yeah, in the faculty and in, in the students, but, uh, we've done better than most.
0: Yeah, no, because I, I know some uh, recent graduates. Um, they um, didn't even get enough um, practical hours. Like they they couldn't even actually be into the outpatient clinic. So they end up graduating and they haven't even. Like I think mm-hmm. in some of the schools that the, the, the amount of adjusting they teach is pretty little anyway and then you take away the practical practicing of it too it would be pretty challenging for a student to come out and miss your whole clinic experience or and even a lot of their number requirements are a lot lower than New Zealand's right because some of them only need to 200 outpatient experiences and some of them don't even need to be adjusted and then that gets all chopped in half because of covid and stuff so it's uh, it's good the students are still getting that that hands on at New Zealand yeah,
1: I think I think we have 500 visits, maybe. Yeah. One um, of the interesting things, when we went into that first lockdown, chiropractors couldn't see any patients at all, and uh, you know, everyone was pretty worried. After coming out of it, uh, practices have just been booming. And, yeah. You know, and it's a college practice. Uh, chiropractors in New Zealand, I think, are busier than ever. Yeah. And we can't get enough chiropractors. You know, our, our students are... Snapped up six months before they leave the college, and chiropractors out in the community are um, fighting to get our graduates into their practices because they can't cope with the number of people that don't want to see them. So, yeah, in, in a way, it's it's cool to see that there seems to have been a big shift in the community with people wanting to look after themselves, and yeah, that, that's happening in the college as well. Our chiropractic center is booming.
0: Yeah. Well, I find that too, that it's, it's funny. You never know how, how much people appreciate chiropractic until it's taken away from them. And when it's taken away from them, they really come back strong. Right. So it's kind of, it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise because sometimes to get someone to uh, appreciate something or want something more, sometimes you have to take it away for a bit. <laughs> well, that's good. So the, the school's going good. The college is going good. The, the students are doing well. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the research center. And like I, I, haven't, like I said, it's been two years and so i know you guys have been working on quite a few different projects uh you reviewed i think you reviewed the um the last time i think you reviewed the the study you did with seniors as far as like um as as far as as far as balance goes and then that uh whatever you call it when they trip and catch themselves
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah, like so they don't wipe out but they kind of like stutter step and catch themselves and uh and so tell us a little bit what's been going on since then
1: we have we've been doing a bunch of studies as per usual, um, but we've we've got some cool ones that are coming out at the moment. Um, one of the lines of research that we've been uh, looking at is stroke research. So we've done a couple of trips over to Pakistan, uh, working in a hospital over there, which which was very interesting getting over there to, uh, to work in the hospital. And um, I yeah. think on, on on the last trip. Um, I almost got arrested by some military policemen because I, I didn't have my passport on me, and, and there was um, one who is amazing managed to convince them that uh, that I wasn't a terrorist. So, <laughs> and I, I think he might have used his uh, the name of his wife's brother, perhaps who's a brigadier in the in the army, that that got um, got me out of that little situation. But we've done some really cool stroke research. So we published a study two years ago, I think. So I don't think I covered it on the last one, but that was a pre and post a single session of chiropractic care looking at muscle strength in stroke patients. Great. And we've done quite a few studies looking at strength after adjustments. And in this one, you know, we took a bunch of stroke patients who had weak leg muscles checked them or didn't because, you know, it was an RCT, and we saw this dramatic increase in strength after a single adjustment, like um, 64% increase in strength, which we thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That's huge. Potentially had a big impact on them. Uh, But obviously that was a pre and post single adjustment. Does that actually make a difference to them in the long term? Who knows? So when we saw those results, we figured we'd go back and do a longer term stay, so we went back over there, I think it must have been in 2019, and uh, our team spent a couple of months over there and we crammed in um, a lot of work while we were there. But we did a, an RCT where we looked at four weeks of chiropractic care. Um, so all of the people were coming into the hospital to get their physio care anyway. Uh, one group carried on with their physio care and the other group the physio care, but we adjusted them as well for four weeks and didn't know what to expect because we knew, chances are, they were going to get better just by seeing the physical therapist. And it's pretty hard to show that something uh, gives an improvement on top of an improvement already. The the stats can go against you with that. So we weren't sure what we were going to see, but when we ran the numbers, you know, we're looking at motor function. So it's called the Fugelmeyer Assessment. And which is commonly used, sort of gold standard uh, test of motor function, it takes about half an hour to do. It's pretty comprehensive, and what we found was when we adjusted these stroke patients for four weeks, we had a clinically important difference on top of the clinically important difference that we'd already seen just from them receiving physio. So um, we we were blown away with those results. And you know when you start talking. RCTs that are sort of longer term, that's where you can start having a bit more of an impact on, on public health perhaps. So you know, those sorts of studies that we're starting to do more of can then roll into um, the into wider community perhaps. I've already had some people from some of the hospitals here in New Zealand get in touch wanting to talk about the study and the results that we got um, you know, to, just to see if, if this is something that could be beneficial to stroke patients who are out there in the community. Um, So that that was pretty cool. And one one of the cool things with that study was when we were over there, seeing the patients that we were adjusting, seeing their lives change while we were there. Mm -hmm. um, There was this one guy who came in, um, he'd lost his job, uh, he worked as a waiter, I think, lost his job after the stroke. He was only young, he was in his 30s because he could no longer walk and hold plates and, and that sort of thing. He had seven kids, no, and he was living in this um, tent slum next to, the hosp- next to the hospital that we were working at. And um, when, when he first came in, Imran said to me, hold your nose because this guy hasn't showered for a while. Um, yeah, this, this could be interesting. And, <laughs> Yeah, we just started checking and adjusting him, and you could see this dramatic change in function visit by visit. And by the time we left, um, he'd been able to get back into employment. Oh, wow. He got another job because he'd regained enough muscle function to um, go back to work. And when when we're doing these studies, we see these things and think, even if we don't get the positive results stats-wise, you can just see the difference it makes to these people just by checking and adjusting them. And um, so we had a few stories like that when we were over there, which we thought was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And that's huge. And uh, like, just to change someone's life, especially in those kind of countries where they have, they can be life and death, right? Because they don't have really much social support. So if they, you you don't have income, no one's helping you.
1: That's it. There's no social support at all. So, um, you know, they go hungry.
0: Wow that's crazy and so so was that um was that uh, rct published then did that one get published with the stroke
1: maybe two or three weeks ago
0: ah so it just so came out
1: brand new stuff yeah so we've, we've had a few um few studies come out recently that that's one of the goodies um we've had a couple of reviews uh an invited review which is basically all about um the neurophysiology of Subluxations and adjustments that's been accepted for publication in uh, European Journal of Applied Physiology. Nice. Coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, we had one recently in Neuroimmune Review. So we thought, with, with the whole COVID thing and everyone being told that chiropractic doesn't do anything as far as immunity goes, we thought we'd try and take an unbiased look at it because there is a lot of evidence showing that when we adjust people, it does have an impact on the immune system. Um, And the the challenge with it, though, is this is all short-term stuff. So we we don't have the longer-term trials to be able to say whether or not that impact on the immune system is, quote-unquote, quote, quote, clinically beneficial or not. Right. That's the challenge that we have at the moment. So a couple of big reviews, which is cool. Uh, We've got another one, another study that I'm excited about which has been sitting on my desktop for a little bit um, as far as I need to put some work into it to to, um, get it off to Heidi to um, go over. But with this one, uh, we're looking at the specificity of adjustments. You know, you go to a lot of colleges, they basically just teach you to manipulate the sorbets and it's not about an analysis of the spine to see whether someone's subluxated or not, because a lot of people don't believe they exist. Uh, <laughs> they manipulate the better heads. which certainly isn't what we teach our students at the college. So for some time, we've wanted to do a study where we look at the impact of an adjustment, adjusting the subluxation versus just thrusting on the spine. And One of the challenges we've always had is would we feel comfortable thrusting on the spine if there's no subluxation there?
0: It's Uh, the ethical dilemma.
1: (laughs) So what we decided to do with this one is uh, we went with the activator as the adjusting instrument because we figured we could be more specific than our clumsy old hands trying to do an adjustment and set the activator to one ring, and we just looked at the upper cervical spine, so C1, 2, or 3, and checked them, check the patient, and you know they were all subluxated in the upper cervical spine. We either adjusted the subluxation as we would in practice or made a contact with the activator to the adjacent vertebra, so one above or one below, and just put a thrust into the vertebra. Um, without the intention of correcting the subluxation that we felt was there. And we wanted to look to see whether there was a, an impact on brain function or not. So we use somatosensory evoked potentials, which we've done in a lot of our studies, where we see a, a pretty consistent change in early sensory motor integration using the, this, this neurophysiological outcome when we adjust someone. We've never done a study with Activator before looking at this. so we, didn't even know if we're going to get an impact by adjusting someone with an activator on on these steps. So we we went in pretty blind, but what we found with this study is when we did the actual adjustment with the activator, we had the same sort of change that we got with the more manual type adjustments that we usually do. Great. And when we put a thrust into the adjacent segment, we didn't get any change at all. Interesting. That I think when we've presented that at um, ACC RAP, but we need to get that written up and out there because, you know, there's so many people around the world and in our profession think these subluxation things don't exist, but... Um, Perhaps
0: they do. Perhaps they do. And actually, it's funny because I just kind of heard that because I think I was watching Heidi, one of her, one of her Facebook posts and she'd mentioned that. And it's funny because how I've been describing is in, in our group in the Vitality Shift, we got quite a few chiropractors in there. And when I'm trying to use analogies to describe what chiropractic is to um, practice members, I often say, imagine your brain is like full of a, a thousand light bulbs and every light bulb is attached to different fervor and different parts of your spine and different parts of those joints. And if those joints are moving correctly or unsubluxated, they send messages up to the brain and, and turn on the light bulbs. And what happens if a, if a segment is subluxated or not moving properly, there is, it's like a motion detector, right? There, like, it's like the TV screen is off. Like you can't see what's going on because there's no movement. Movement is information. And I said, and then that makes so much sense because if you have a segment that's restricted and the, and the, um, and the motion detectors off, and and it's not lighting up the light bulbs in the brain and you you put a thrust into it whether it's manual or activator uh that will wake it up and it'll 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 kind of trigger that motion detector in the brain uh, but if you have a segment that's already moving fine the motion detector's on so like <laughs> if you put more input in it's already it's not as a significant change right because that would just be my kind of analog my thinking without being a researcher mind but that would just be my kind of thought and pictures of, of how that would work and I think that was brilliant.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, and should yeah, do a particular big shout out to ASRF, they helped support that study. Um, yeah, they've been big supporters of ours for a long, long time. So, um, you yeah, know, always got to acknowledge those guys when when we start presenting this sort of stuff because we couldn't have built the research centre we had without their early support and we're still getting that 15 years later. So, um, you yeah, really need to acknowledge them and the other funders that, that help us out Was I did a presentation the other day at our um, National Association conference and it was sort of an, an update of where we're at, what we've got on the go and, and where we're going and I pulled out a presentation I did to the same group from 2007. Yeah. Yeah. That that was when we first started, so um, Heidi came on board at the college in 2006, and so by 2007, it was just me and Heidi working together, we had no money, no funding, we had a few hours a week that we could put into research, we had no equipment, um, but we had some big ideas. And I pulled up the, the strategic plan we had from 2007 with... Now we want to um, get an income stream coming in. We want uh, more faculty involved. And we went through all of these plans that we had, and it was really satisfying and a really proud moment to think that we'd achieved all of those things and we'd gone from basically having no funding through to where we are now, where the college puts over a million dollars a year into our research program. Um, wow. And... A lot of that comes from external sources and fundraising from the profession and from granting agencies. Uh, But, you know, that helped us to get into a really strong position. Uh, But we've always got to acknowledge that it's a pretty big effort from lots of people to make that happen, including lots of chiropractors who've donated to our program over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Australia Spinal Research Foundation. A lot of my listeners um, already support them because, like, we've always been a big supporter from them from right from from the very beginning. I think first time was probably around that two thousand six or seven, I think two thousand seven or something, where we went down to the uh, the Parker, the first Parker with uh, um, the Australia Spinal Research Foundation, and we found out this, and we're like, wow, there's an organization actually funds research that's in our brand of chiropractic and then and then to find out that New Zealand has a whole research department that asks questions they are in our brand of chiropractic, <laughs> which they're trying to answer, which is amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really proud of what we've done over the years and, and what we've got lined up. Um you know like I said I've been working with Heidi for 15 years and we don't catch up as much as we used to. We're so busy. We used to catch up all the time. But when we make the effort to and we catch up for dinner and we have a couple of glasses of wine, and we start chewing the fat, I still get inspired by Heidi. Fifteen years later, even though we've been working very closely together, just with those conversations that, that we have over a glass of wine, it, it's really, it's really cool. You know, cool to be inspired after all that time and um, be excited about where we're going because we've taken lots of small steps to get where we are now and we've built the most amazing team around us and we can just see um, this idea that we can start taking some giant leaps moving forward because we've created that base. We've got all of these cool people who have a whole different set of skills that we don't have, uh, lots of connections around the world and it's exciting stuff.
0: Oh, I know. Well, and, and and it's good to get reconnected though, because I think I, I found like, just because we traveled so much, we actually physically connected with so many chiropractors. Uh, we'd, we'd be to all, we'd been to, we'd always be to the UK. We'd always be to the United States. We'd always be to New Zealand, because we usually fly um, from Vancouver through New Zealand to go to Australia. And uh, and it's just been like a year and a half of not being connected. So it's, it's kind of, it's good to kind of reach back out again and go, what's everybody doing again as everyone's kind of coming out of their little holes and <laughs> from all the little lockdowns the different parts of the world (laughs) yeah it really is so what else is what else you got any anything else do you think that's coming up that's going to be cool
1: one of the biggies that i'm quite excited about is practice-based research so um it's something that i've had in the back of my mind for at least 10 years that i want to get going and it's always been how do we do this and do it well in a sustainable way? Um, and over the last couple of years, I've been working closely with Imran, who is an absolute legend. We, we owe so much to Imran. He has contacts everywhere. He is an expert in artificial intelligence and analysing big data. Oh, really? And what we've been working on is how can we collect uh, practice-based data. So how can we tap into all of those thousands and millions of chiropractic patients who are seen around the world and see what actually happens to them with them when they get adjusted? So um, we're going down that track at the moment. We've slowly been putting together um, a plan for how we can make this work, make it sustainable, how we can create the largest practice-based research network in chiropractic, get something really cool out of it and not just make it for research. Um, the idea here is that we can feed straight back into practices. So if, if we can collect information from chiropractic patients, what, what do they want from the chiropractor? What are their values? What are their beliefs? What, you know, what do they want out of this? We look at uh, all of the examination findings that the chiropractor has. So what's happening in the spine? What, what's their quality of life like? What's their brain-body communication like? Um, If we can tap into that and collect that data and then see what happens with them as as they go through their chiropractic journey, that can then inform chiropractors when a similar patient comes on board in the future. So um, what we're looking at doing is collecting this practice-based data and then in real time have it feed back into the the, uh, planning for a care plan uh, for patients. So we'd look at the patient's values and beliefs, we'd look at the patients that that individual chiropractor has seen previously, what techniques did they use, how often did they see them, and then we can look at similar data from chiropractors around the world and then feed that back into the care plan and basically plot a a trajectory for an individual patient based on thousands of other patients that have come before them and then track them through care To see if they're following that trajectory or they've um, deviated from it and if they have do we need to change that care plan or not and what I'm getting at here is evidence-based practice we talk about it often should be patient's values and beliefs it should be individual or the chiropractor's the clinical experience or the experience of the profession uh, and it should be the best available clinical research evidence and evidence-based practice traditionally has kind of been hijacked by that clinical evidence side of things, which is just RCTs. And they serve a purpose, but they aren't necessarily, in my mind, the, the best way of finding out what actually happens in a chiropractic practice or any healthcare setting in a real-world environment. Where we're lucky with chiropractic is um, we see thousands of patients, millions of patients every day Let's look at that, if we can, to help provide us with the best available clinical evidence. So, you know, we're thinking we can tap into big data, um, real-world chiropractic interactions to provide an evidence-based approach to chiropractic care that isn't just about whether we've got an RCT that shows that chiropractors help kids with asthma or whatever. Um, So, you know, that's what excites me is, is that big data, real world approach, which
0: I think can make a big difference. Well, in, in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that would be more um, innovative because you'd actually be learning new things on the fly and you'd be learning new innovative ways that chiropractic can help people. And then if you just do RCTs, you're kind of lag. It's like lag information. Like you think you already kind of have some information that this might be happening, but um, the practice-based research would almost come up with new new ways that you didn't even know when you have to kind of be pretty pretty clear on what you're sort of looking for from the outcome with RCTs, right? So you're kind of like, it's like a lag indicator instead of a lead indicator.
1: Yeah, absolutely. RCTs are, they absolutely serve a purpose. Yeah. They're very hard to do well. They cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time and often you could argue that they don't reflect real world and you know, we over control them. We exclude people from them. Um, so we get valuable information from them. But if we are already seeing millions of people, that must count for something, what actually happens in the real world. Yeah. You know, sure, we don't necessarily have a control group. What, what would have happened with them anyway? We don't know for sure. But that, that data we can collect from practices, um, if we get it on a large scale, must tell a story.
0: Yeah. One hundred percent. Now, I know you probably got a lot of details on it, but like, how do you even go about starting that? Like, like, what, what kind of things do you guys have to set up in the first place to kind of even make that feasible? For for,
1: we need to create um, the software really. So, what what we're looking at is, do we create a practice management system um, where uh, you know it could take over from whatever practice management systems are out there already, where we can. Guide the chiropractors with the information that we need to collect, or do we create an add in to current systems that are out there? And um, so it's really writing the software, creating the software to help us uh, get the data out of the chiropractic offices. Um, We've been doing a lot of planning with this. We've got a team lined up that can do that for us. Um, But we've also got to put in the groundwork to make sure that the software that we create. Does what we want to do and works in a chiropractic office and doesn't screw things up for the chiropractor. And you know, we're looking at um, a modular system here. So, how can we tap into stuff that's already collected, um, tap into what chiropractors are doing already, and how can we add to that? You know, chiropractors already collect lots of valuable information. And, you know, look at David Fletcher's stuff. Now, if we can tap into that sort of stuff that, that's already been collected as far as spinal function, heart rate variability, um, if we can work together with what people are doing already and just add add to that, then um, I think we're going to be on to a winner. So we, we've put about 18 months' work into the planning so far, and it's probably a five-year project to really get this nailed. But um, we have we're going down the pathway at the moment. We feel like we're on track. Uh, funding's always a challenge, but we've got a, a unique funding model that we're working on. Um, and hopefully we can just unroll this, create the software, start introducing it into practices and start clicking that data.
0: And I think that'd be amazing because if, if it, if it replaces your billing software already, like, and if a lot of people are paperless anyway, um, you, you need to document it. Like for us, we need to document it for our, our college, or our regulatory boards. And if you could hit it with both, if you could do both things where you could have all your online stuff, have your notes good, but then also being documenting, like because sometimes chiropractors in a way, sometimes they feel the things that we are, we are required to document. our regulatory boards don't really give us the information that we want to show how chiropractic improves vitality and overall function in the body, right? It's more pain based, right? And if we could kind of do that, you almost get both at the same time where you can, you can still get the stuff you need for your regulatory body, but then you can also have like the, um, the functional or objective findings or, or whatever else with their history and their life history that could kind of go into the AI computer to kind of analyze everything.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, what we're looking at is utilising unstructured data as well. So we, we could look at um, natural language processing. It could be the conversation that you're having with, with the patient. We can, we can get, you know, that's pretty rich sort of thing that we can drag information out of. Um, you could look at x-rays, people that are still taking x-rays. You can throw that into an AI program and drag information out of that. So we, we're trying to have a pretty broad approach of how can we collect as much data as possible that's relevant to this person, their function, their health, wellness and quality of life and see what impact chiropractic care has on that and what's the best approach for the chiropractor to have the best impact. And this can go broader than the chiropractic profession as well. Um, you know, as uh, electronic health records become much more available, uh, you know, we can start looking at people who don't go and see a chiropractor. Uh, perhaps you know you, you tap into the Fitbits and all of those sorts of stuff. If you can get access to the data, all of a sudden you can start having control groups of, of, of a sort, and right. um, you're looking at a group of people who go to see a chiropractor and a group who don't see a chiropractor who are very very similar. What happens with their health? Now this is down the track, but I think uh, it's possible. You know, we, we over the next ten years or so, I'd like to think. We're going to get a much better picture of the real impact of chiropractic care on health, wellness, and quality of life uh, and human performance by looking at real-world situations and, and big data tapping into that. Um, comes with its challenges, of course. Yes. Uh, with, with data security, um, and you know, that landscape changes constantly. But that, that's why we're trying to do the planning up front to make sure we're on top of that. But yeah, you know, to me that's exciting
0: stuff. Yeah. Oh no, it sounds good. And again, that that would when you get the true um, the true picture of of the importance of chiropractic care, right? Because you'd see the people who don't even never been to one, or they'll be saying, "Well, I'm lucky I haven't needed to see one yet." And you're like, oh. "You totally don't know what they're you have a spine? Oh, <laughs> just checking. <laughs> but uh, but I think that'll be that'll be amazing. So. Um, and I just want to thank you too, because like, I know you work your butt off and, and the whole team at, at New Zealand works their butt off. And, uh, and I know you guys had to st- start, from really humble beginnings, even with the school, you had, you had lots of humble beginnings with even going to school to the beginning of your research lab. And, uh, and so you've really stuck through. So I just want to give you a personal thank you to because of all the dedication you've done for, for the profession. Thank you. Now, if chiropractors are out there and saying, geez, I'd really like to, uh, I'd really like to help out with uh, with what's going on at the New Zealand College. Um, maybe give maybe some examples of how chiropractors in the field can can help support you guys.
1: Yeah, like I said, we've been so lucky with the support that we've received um, from chiropractors in New Zealand and around the world. We couldn't do what we do without that support and um, donations, and the um, you know we've got a, a group of supporters who give to us on a monthly basis and that's gold you know whether it's a hundred bucks or a couple of hundred bucks they're our supporters program regular donors and that money is amazing it allows us to employ people uh, and help develop the researchers that are coming through at our institution um, some people give uh, one-off donations which is amazing as well you now we we have people who give 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 2,000, 5,000 over the weekend. And, um, yeah, like I say, we, we couldn't do it without them. Um, so, if anyone does want to donate to our research program, they can go to our website. I can't remember what it's called. Just Google us, Museum and College of Chiropractic Research. We've got a supporters page there that um, they can give to. Another thing that we are working on at the moment is a, a PhD supporters program. So we've got some of our um, graduates of our college who have been involved in, in our research centre for a while and are doing PhDs, one of them, Tanya Gluchina, yeah. We've been able to offer her uh, a PhD scholarship. I know she's trying to raise her kids by herself. She's... Uh, trying to work with us at the college. She's trying to do a PhD full-time, so we want to try and help her out as far as uh, offering a PhD scholarship. And this was first launched you know, back in Fiji. We, we were there, there when Heidi launched that, and we had a whole bunch of people who donated, you know, like 1500 bucks towards this PhD fund, yeah. and we've been able to give Tanya a PhD um, scholarship. And she's probably got about another 18 months or so to go with her PhD and we're still trying to raise money for that. I think we need, I can't remember, have to check another $45,000 or something to, to go into that fund to make sure that we can um, support Tanya over the next 18 months. So if anyone wants to get in behind that, go to our website, supporters page, uh, make a donation, join the supporters program for, for ongoing donations because it absolutely makes a world of difference to us. Um, we, we're always trying to find the money we need to support the team that we've built, and the, the more we can get from the profession uh, who like the research that we're doing. The better. Well,
0: now I, I was just thinking, because we 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 were in supporting in that first year as well um, for the PhD student. I, I was just thinking like you know, it's one thing that's great to, to, to help fund a study, right? Cause a study is nice because once the study's done, it stays forever in the, in the universe, <laughs> right? And people can come back and recall it forever, but I, but it's even more powerful, I think, even to help, to help create a PhD, um, somebody who's in research in our brand in chiropractic, because how many, okay, this is a question for you. How many chiropractic researchers do you think are in chiropractic in our brand? And it'd be a rough estimate, but like not a lot. You know,
1: you can count them on one hand just about, can't you? Yes, yeah. not a lot.
0: Um, and they're doing a little and you like you guys are doing amazing work because you're pumping out lots of information. So if you if you if you could if you have four or five and then you all of a sudden go to six, like that's a huge percentage improvement <laughs> to get another another chiropractor into uh chiropractic research in our brand.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. There are uh, Bunch of researchers in our brand who are going through PhDs at the moment now, through our college, uh, also over in Australia. You know, James Richards just graduated with his. Um, Joel Alcantara is in the middle of his PhD. Um, Matt Doyle, um, he's involved over there as well. Yeah. Our people coming through. Alice K, Tanya Jewa, you know, We're growing it. Um
0: well, it, by that sounds that like, like within the next like year or two, it might double the amount.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. That's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah,
0: that's yeah. pretty cool. That's good. So, uh, anybody out there listening, like I totally highly recommend that you just jump on their website, look on the supporters page. Um, I think Heidi sent me a message. She said if you want to donate to the PhD um, to the PhD students, when you do the donation, I guess they have a notes section. You can just put down uh, PhD um, student support, and then they will be able to earmark that to the to that department. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: That's great. So, well, it was it was amazing to catch up with you again. I know it's not quite as fun sitting and not in, sitting on a, what was that? A little bit of heaven. what was that? What was that restaurant bar floating in uh, Fiji? Uh, uh, cloud nine. Cloud yeah. <laughs> nine. It's not as fun as floating on cloud nine, jumping off the top tier into the ocean and having beers. But it was still nice to catch up with you anyway. <laughs> yeah um is there any um you know uh final words of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with as as we finish up the call today
1: um probably just reinforcing that idea that we've taken a a bunch of small steps when it comes to chiropractic research to paint the picture that we've got at the moment and I think we're about to start taking some giant leaps forward with this to to give us a real good idea of the real impact of chiropractic care on health, wellness, and quality of life. And I think that's going to make a big difference uh, because the picture that we've got at the moment doesn't tell the true story. Now We've got a chiropractic care kind of helps people with back pain, neck pain, and headaches, and that's about it as far as the research or clinical research goes. But I think we're going to start changing that narrative over the next few years with the, the studies that we're doing and the direction we're going with um, practice-based research.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, it's, uh, I think it's exciting times. And I, I, you can almost see the momentum growing from, uh, the, with, from the time when it's just you and Heidi and basically an empty research lab with no equipment.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks again so much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast again, Kelly.
1: No worries. Good to good to catch
0: up on. Yeah, you bet. And everybody out there, um, please uh, go to the New Zealand College of Chiropractic website page and look up the research department and and support them because anything that we uh, support now is going to help the future generations of chiropractic and most importantly the people of the planet. Because at the end of the day, that's who's going to benefit the most from this. Is when more people understand what the true benefits of chiropractic care are. Um, and, and how it's going to help improve their quality of life. So make sure you support that. And until next time, everybody, don't forget to shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.